You're listening to a sermon from Tyler Christian Fellowship in Tyler, Texas. Find us on the web at tcftyler.com or send us an email, tcftyler at gmail.com. Amen. Good morning. Isn't that awesome to worship the Lord like that? Just uh, so refreshing and so, uh, so such promise of his, uh, his love for us and his provision for us. So if you're a, a guest with us this morning, we're glad you're here and you make yourself at home. And I know the Lord wants to minister to you and uh, wants to speak to your heart. He's always looking uh, for people whose hearts are inclined toward him, whether you've been walking with him for many years or whether you're new to this walk or whether you don't even know him at all. He loves you and he's glad that you're here today and he wants to speak a good word to you. Um, so the kids... Are, have the kids already gone? Did they go directly? Okay, so let's pray for the kids. They're going to go uh, minister to our neighbors uh, next door. And um, so let's uh, pray for them as they go. Heavenly Father, we thank you um, for these children, Lord, that are learning uh, how to give, learning how to love, uh, learning how to reach out, Lord, uh, and having spent some time, Lord, ministering uh, in the nursing home. Um, Lord, I know that there are uh, people there uh, that are going to take great delight in the fact uh, that these kids are coming uh, to spend time with them. I just pray, Lord, for a blessing on our kids and also on the nursing home, um, that uh, you would comfort those, Lord, who are lonely, um, that uh, you would uh, minister, Lord, to those who are weak or sick uh, this morning through our children. And uh, thank you, Lord, for those that are leading them. Thank you for the, um, our, our, uh, uh, our volunteers and servant leaders, Lord, um, that are taking the kids. And I just pray that you would bless them as they go as well, that they would um, see things that just... Um, uh, enlarge their hearts, Lord, um, for the love of God. And we just thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, the kids are free to go. Lord has us on a outreach journey. Uh, currently, it's the season that we're in, and he, uh, he wants us to uh, not just enjoy his presence here, but to bring his presence um, to uh, outside of these walls, outside of these doors, into our city, our community, our families, the places that we work. Um, so we have uh, the series that we're looking at is uh, You're the Lighter of the World, um, that we're not just lit, but we're also lighting um, uh, little fires everywhere uh, that we go. Um, the uh, scripture um, that we're going to look at this morning, um, this is, yeah, here it is, is uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, and it says, you're the light of the world, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Um, the This sort of mini-series that I'm doing in this other series, I know it's a little complicated, um, is uh, to how to share your faith, hope, and love. And uh, I've, I've used that all together in a sort of uh, run-on way, um, faith, hope, and love as one word, because they're not separable. Your faith, a, a lot of times people kind of give instruction as to how we're supposed to share our faith with others, um, as if that's something that we share outside of ourselves. There's no evangelism but lifestyle evangelism. If you're not living it, you shouldn't be preaching it because it, it brings disservice to the Lord. And it's our faith, hope, and love all together, motivated by our love, based on the faith, uh, the hope that we have 
that we're able to reach people um, to, uh, to share our faith and that they're actually interested in hearing what we have to say. Um, so we've had the, the last two Sundays, we talked about how to share your faith um, to a world who is, um, that is largely um, non-affiliated. Um, the second major religion in most of the world is non-affiliated. Um, certainly in America and in Europe, we see this as being um, true, but uh, in many other countries, um, there's a growing group of people that are just not affiliated. They don't express any form, and that would include atheists and agnostics and also people who are just kind of making it up as they go along, um, which is uh, probably the most common religion on the face of the earth. Um, so we talked about how to share your faith in that, in that environment. Last week, we talked about how to share your hope um, in a world that has become very cynical um, and the uh, hope that we have. And the reason, I mean, as all of these things are happening, it makes what we have much more valuable. You see what I'm saying? Because the, the more the darkness uh, begins to prevail, the brighter our light shines. The more that people are without the living water, the thirstier they get, and the more thirsty they are for what we have. So even as the, it looks like the environment is sort of going the wrong, the wrong direction for us, it's actually opportunities um, that are presenting themselves. But this morning, I want to talk about how to share your love. And this is the key in the heart to the whole thing. Um, I got two scriptures and a quote. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13 says, Now faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. Uh, John 15, 12 says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And a guy named John Lennon said, um, All you need is love. I don't know if you guys, anybody's ever read uh, John Lennon's um, uh, biography. I think it's a biography. I don't think it's an autobiography. But I was amazed uh, when I read that, that there was a chapter uh, on uh, John Lennon's experience with uh, being born again. Um, he had, when he was living uh, in New York, he had gone through a season where he was watching a lot of religious television, like the 700 Club. Um, and at some point while he was watching that, he gave his heart to the Lord. Um, it began to turn his world upside down, and he quickly retreated uh, from that. Um, but I just thought that that was an amazing example of God's ability to grab somebody's heart and, uh, and speak to somebody. And um, so when he says all, all, we need, all you need is love, uh, we say amen to that, right? Can you say amen to John Lennon? <laughs> whatever is true, whatever is, you know, if it's true, we say amen to it because that, that comes from God. That's what, that's what God says. Because we live in a, in a world that is dark. The, 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 um, the symptom that we're seeing in people is a love sickness, it's a, it's a love deprivation. And that's the reason why you're seeing so many different things in so many different lives. That's the reason for the brokenness in the world. It's a love, they're love sick, they're love deprived. And it's so sad that they are because there is a love that is a life-giving, life-saving, life-transforming love that we are all recipients of freely given from God. So that's what we want to talk about tonight. Um, I was thinking about the kids going to the nursing home, and it reminded me. I had an uh, outreach to the nursing home when I first became um, associate pastor here many years ago. Um, the uh, senior pastor said he wanted me to get, kind of get some practice. He said, you're not going to be able to preach very much, um, but I want you to get some practice. So he says, I want you to start um, going to the nursing home every week. And I was just like, you know, I don't mind that. Uh, I mean, it'll be good practice. You know, and hopefully, you know, the, the old folks will get something out of it. Um, and I found out really quickly, like, when you first show up, you see, all you see is, you know, gray hair and glasses. 
and you don't even know how much they understand what you're saying to them. Um, I'll tell you one story that's kind of funny. Um, back then, I used to wear, you know, a coat and tie uh, all the time. And uh, when I went to the nursing home, there was a lady there um, that was new, and um, one of the guys that was with me uh, was talking to her, and I stepped up to her, and she just had these really big, beautiful brown eyes. And she, when she turned, she looked at me, and she just looked at me, and she smiled, and she said, who are you? And I said, I'm Brother Joe. I'm from next door. I come over and, you know, share on Wednesdays, you know, um, and, you know, it's really good to see you. And she turned and started talking to the person she was talking to before, and I was talking to somebody, and I turned again, and she looked at me, and she's like, who are you? And I said, I'm Brother Joe. I'm from, I'm from next door. And, uh, and then she turned and got involved in a conversation. And just before I left, as I was walking out, you can guess it, she looked at me and she's like, who are you? She said, you're a preacher, aren't you? And I said, how did you know? Like something's getting through, you know, the void. I said, how did you know? And she said, because you're wearing a tie. And she said, because you're so kind. I was so touched by that. I was so moved by that. Because I have a lot to give, but everybody's not able to receive everything that everybody has to give. And it's a miracle when it comes through. It's a miracle when my life touches somebody's life with the love of God, or when their life touches my life with the love of God. We're all love-deprived in some way or another. And that's why we're the light of the world, because we have the capacity to turn on a light in somebody's life. That was just a little uh, story from the nursing home. There's another one. Um, there was a, uh, a little old couple that was over there, some of the happiest people I've ever met. Um, little, little guy, his wife was a little bit bigger than him, and um, they were living in the nursing home. And when I first started uh, going, um, they were just regular, and all, every week they would come to the services. After a couple of months, um, she started missing um, services. And then when I finally saw her after a while, you could tell that she was going downhill, you know, really quickly. Um, and uh, he continued to come, and, you know, and we would talk and stuff like that. Well, I found out that their story was is that she was really sick. I think she had ALS, um, but she was, she was just really sick. Um, and she had to be in the nursing home. And her husband also went into the nursing home to be with her. I just thought that that was such a great picture of godly love. That's like Jesus and his bride. That he loved her so much that he was not going to let her go into the nursing home by herself. He didn't want her to be there and be afraid and be alone. And, you know, he didn't want to be alone either. He loved her so much that he left a perfectly good house and a perfectly good life to live in the, in the environment where she had to be, where she was um, confined to. It was just a, it was a little miracle to see that. Um, just a little spark of, of life. We're such amateurs at love. We want to love. We like to love. We're just not very good at it, you know? And there's a lot of different reasons for that. I'm going to talk about a few of those um, today. Um, it seems to be the only thing that God is interested in, though. Every time he tries to, he pairs the whole thing down. People are just like, this is, seems so complicated and like, what do you want from me? 
It always comes down to that. It always comes down to love. That seems to be the only thing that God is really interested in. We're involved in so many other things, and we get so complicated and so dragged down with things. And yet, it all comes down to love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. It takes, it takes a, a miracle for us to get good at this. But listen, take heart, because that's what God is in the business of doing. Taking what we have and changing it into something that is godly and eternal and mind-blowing and life-changing. Um, one of the complications that we deal with is that there are three Greek words translated love. Actually, there's four. Um, I'm sim simplifying it a little bit today. Um, C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Four Loves, and I highly recommend that book to you. It really does kind of dig in, uh, dive into um, the as different aspects of all of them. And all of them are good in their own way, and all but uh, one of them also uh, has some, uh, uh, some baggage. So the three that I want to talk about this morning, just touch on briefly, is first is uh, agape, um, the second is phileos, and the third one is uh, eros. And those can be sort of uh, simplified. Uh, agape is like spiritual love, uh, philio phileos is like a soulish love, and eros is um, a physical love. Agape love, uh, Anders, uh, Nygren, who was a Swedish uh, 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 theologian, a Lutheran theologian, um, says this about agape love. It, I just felt like it was a really good uh, sort of definition or description of it. He says, agape love is unmotivated in the sense that it is not contingent on any value or worth or in the object of love. It is spontaneous and heedless, for it does not determine beforehand whether love will be effective or appropriate in any particular case. Now, that's, courage, that's courageous love. That's, that's bold love. That's the kind of love that God loves with, and that's the only kind of love that's going to change the world. That's the only kind of love that will impact a world that is so love-starved and love-deprived. He says it's unmotivated in the sense that it's not contingent on any value or worth in the object of love, even though when we love something, we find value in that thing. But the love comes first. I've described it like this, like God's love for you, you can't earn God's love for, for you, and you shouldn't try to earn God's love for you, because that's a different whole concept of love. Love that has to be earned like that is not agape love. It's not the kind of love that God loves with. Um, I went to a uh, recital with our, our, our granddaughters um, a few years ago, and um, so they're all dressed up, and they get up on the stage. You know, I don't care if they make a mistake. I'm not going to boo my grandchildren. I'm not going to feel bad about anything they're doing. I'm going to cheer. They could fall flat on their face, and they've got one person in the audience, or more, because it's, you know, the Watkins and the Canals, you know, and, like, we're the posse. We're, we're with them. We're going to be, be there for them no matter what, and that's how God's love for you is. I mean, you may be doing some stuff up on the stage and, you know, performing and all of that, and that's great. It's really great that you're doing that. But that's not your worth to him. Your worth to him is like my granddaughter's worth to me. If she falls, I'm there for her more. If she fails, if she's struggling or something like that, I am not going to distance myself from her and like, okay, well, I don't even know who that kid is, right? She's mine, and I'm hers, and I'm on her side. And that's how God's love for us is. It's described, this is a description. It's not contingent on any value or worth in the person. It's contingent on a relationship. 
And it's unilateral to begin with because God loved us first before we had anything to give, before there was anything in us of value or worth. Agape love is spiritual love. That's that selfless, self-sacrificing um, type of love. Um, philios is a soulish love, um, and philios is like um, brotherly love. It's like the commitment that uh, people have. It's the, it's the best love that people can give outside of agape love. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, and if you don't know God, you're not capable of agape love because agape love comes from him. Okay, But you are capable of great um, acts of love and great love and great devotion and, and things like that. People are capable of those things, okay? Eros love is uh, physical love, and I'm here to tell you this morning that I love Eros love, okay? I, I don't, I, nobody should look down on it or say that it's, you know, second uh, or, you know, lower or uh, inferior or all of those things. It's nothing to base your life on, but it sure enhances your life. And I'm talking about just physical love. I'm talking about just acts of kindness and, and being close to people, you know? I mean, you can't condemn the flesh. As long as you're in the flesh, you're going to have to deal with the flesh. You just have to keep it in its proper place. But I love the flesh. I love to hug my wife. I love good food, obviously, okay? There's nothing wrong with that. That's, it's a good thing to have. But when you love people with an eros love, when you say, see, that's the problem, is that we say, I love such and such, and we use the same word for all of that. I love Fridays. I love, um, you know, my wife. I love a good steak. Okay, so you love steak. So let me see the effect on all of these steaks that you have loved. Show me these steaks. Are these steaks better for your love? No, they didn't survive the experience. You see, it's a selfish, self-centered, self-serving. It's, it's saying, I love because of the way you make me feel. I love because of what you do for me. I love because of what I get out of it. And be careful when somebody says, I love you, that you understand what they mean by that. Okay? Because if somebody really loves you, then they're willing to make a commitment. They're willing to lay down their life for you. And so that what's the effect, what's the effect on your life of somebody that loves you with a godly love? Your life is better. You have been in some way lifted and transformed and saved because they have not done, loved you with a, with a selfish love. They've loved you with a sacrificial love. They haven't taken from you because they love you. They have given. They have added to your life. And that's the love that God has called us um, to do. That's the type of love that he's called us. Jesus spent lots of time teaching on love, explicitly and implicitly. He would, almost everything that he said or did came down to that, if you look at it close enough in Scripture. He was, that's what he was. That's his superpower. I mean, he had, obviously, he had a bunch of superpowers. He could heal people. He could restore sight to the blind, right? Are you guys with me? Right, yeah, I'm not just saying he's like a superhero, you know? He's so much more than that. But he has superpowers, but the superpower that he had above all else was the ability to love, and not with a selfish love, but with a sacrificial love. And he taught us to love. He taught us what real love um, was, because he knows that we're amateurs, and he knows that we aspire to greatness um, in this. I have a working theory that we're not naturally capable of agape for a lot of different reasons. We, have a, so, we are such a bag of contradictions 
and complications. But I have a theory that we're not naturally capable of agape, but we are capable of human love, and so that's where we start. We start with human love. I'm going to agape, but I'm starting with filios. I had, it's what I have to give. And it's like the wedding at Cana. Jesus changed the water into wine, but they had to fill the, the, the buckets up with something. I mean, the, the, um, the vessels up with something. He said, pour water into them. And that's what he's saying. Pour your filios love in. Do the love to the way that you're capable of loving. And it will turn into, he will, he will turn it into the wine of his divine love. You start with what you have, but don't be content with it. Jesus taught us about uh, real love. He said, um, you know, greater love um, has no one than this. Why? Because we don't know what real love is. He was pointing to something. If you said, what is real love? We would point to something. He said, no, here's what real love is. Here, uh, real love looks like this. It looks like a person laying down their life. It looks like a person moving into the nursing home. That's what, it, that's what real love is. Because it's not benefiting me. He says, love your, um, he, he taught us that love didn't seek its own. Love didn't seek its own. Matthew chapter 5, verses 44 through 46, um, he says, But I say to you, love your enemies. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And let me also say something uh, about that. He did not, that, that when he said, love your enemies, he did not say, love your enemies and they will love you. He said, love your enemies. It's a one-way street. You're not doing it to get. You're doing it because God, that's the way God loves you. You don't think of yourself as being an enemy of God, but you were an enemy of God when he died for you. You were a rebel. You were seeking your own. You were turning a deaf ear to him, and that's when he loved you. And Jesus died without any guarantee that anybody would take him up on it. Do you know that? He came to earth. He didn't, nobody guaranteed, okay, the whole earth is going to be converted to you. In fact, they were not happy about it, and they still aren't. He still has tons of enemies. Why? Because people want to do their own thing. And yet, he loves. He loves. He loved his enemies, and that's what he's telling us to do as well. Love heals. Jesus taught us that love heals. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 and 36 is only one of many uh, verses that shows where the miracles came from. It wasn't just a superpower that he just exhibited every now and then. It was something that was going on on the inside of him that caused him to touch people's lives with power. And there's a lot of people that want power, but there's not a lot of people that are capable of loving the way that Jesus loved. The scripture says when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, and he went throughout all the cities and villages, healing every disease and every affliction. Why? Because he had compassion on them. They would come to him, and they would have a need, and, uh, and he would be motivated. It says, I wonder what that experience was like. You know, I kind of wonder, like, what would it be like to be, like, I know you guys, and, and I know when you guys look at me and treat me like you like me. How powerful would that have been to be looking in the eyes of Jesus and suddenly his face shows that he's got compassion on you and he's moved by that. He's moved by his compassion. Listen, you may not be able to do, I, I, I don't know why I'm qualifying it, you cannot do miracles yourself. 
You're not under illusion, I hope. Even charismatics need to know you cannot do miracles yourself. If a miracle happens, it's got to come from somewhere else because you, you don't have the capacity to do that. But you can do what you can do. I don't even know why that chokes me up. Jesus could heal. And he didn't always heal. Sometimes he did something else. You may not be able to heal. Maybe it's not your faith. Maybe it's not your ability. Maybe it's just God saying this is not the right time for it. But you can do what you can do. Just because you can't do what somebody thinks that you should do doesn't mean that you should withhold what you can from them. Whether it's in time or compassion or money or whatever. If you really love somebody, you're not going to walk away from them unchanged. You're going to do what you can do in that situation. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Jesus could heal. He's, that's what he said. Love heals. When he saw their, their need and he has the ability to do it and he did that. What if he didn't have that ability? Do you think that he would do nothing? Or do you think he would find a way to do something? At least to let them know that God loves them. I guess maybe I'm just, I'm convicted because I've had, you know, people come and it's, uh, you know, like when you're driving it, you know, out of the Walmart parking lot and there's a guy sitting there with a sign, you know, scratched on a, on a piece of cardboard um, and he says, you know, that he needs something and somebody pulls over and they give him, you know, five bucks or something like that. That's like, that's about his personal as a hamburger at, at McDonald's as compared to a home-cooked meal because you're not getting involved in his life. You don't even know what his name is. You don't really know what his story is. You're just giving him something. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, you guys. There are people that work with people like that that say they never do that. They will never give money to somebody on the side of the street. I can't be that way. I have to be sensitive and listen to the Lord and sometimes give 5 bucks or 10 bucks or 20 bucks, you know, to somebody that just God puts them on my heart and, and I've got it and I, and I give it, okay? But that's not what God is calling us to exclusively. That is not caring for the poor. Caring for the poor is going to take a lot more than that. It's going to take being around them. It's going to take finding out who's ministering to them. It's going to take finding out what their needs are, okay? And many of you guys already know that and you're already doing that, okay? But there's a difference between giving something, and loving somebody. There's a, there's a difference between doing something and loving somebody. Because when you love somebody, you can't walk away from it. You can't. You have to care. And I'm convicted because I have, you know, people come, they, I, they come to church, you know, and they've got similar stories, they sound alike, and all of that, and Way too many times I've just told them, look, we don't have funds available for something like that, but I didn't go the extra mile and spend 10 minutes with them and pray for them and find out where they are in their life and what's going on in their life. Sometimes when I tell them we don't have funds for that right up front, they're like, okay, thanks for letting me know because that's all they're interested in. But I have a hard time believing that most people are only interested in money or that the deepest need that anybody knows of is the need to pay their rent. 
Jesus taught that love heals. And Jesus taught that love endures. This is 1 Corinthians, so this is Paul writing, but this goes right along with everything that Jesus taught about love. Such a beautiful chapter, man. I mean, you ought to have a regular rotation of going back through 1 Corinthians chapter 13, just on a regular basis. There's sometimes when you're really up and you need to hear it, and there's sometimes when you're really down and you need to hear it, and there's sometimes when you're struggling with other people and you need to hear it, and there's sometimes that you're, the, you know, somebody's done something ugly to you and you need to hear it. It's salve, man. It's like oil and wine poured into your soul uh, for healing. It says, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and then it says this, just in case we didn't get it, love never ends. If it's love and it ends, it's not agape. If it's love and it runs out, it's not agape. If it's love today and it's gone tomorrow, it wasn't agape. It might have been somebody taking a real good shot at it, you know, with their filios love, doing the best they could with it, but it wasn't real agape love because agape love endures. In fact, it's there at the worst times. Um, I was reading uh, uh, testimony, or listening to a little short testimony of, um, I, can't rem- I won't be able to remember her name, maybe you will, uh, Heather, the two girls that were captured in Afghanistan when 9-11, Heather, Heather Mercer, that's who it was, and Dana Curry, yeah. So uh, I was read- listening to a little interview with her, and uh, she had prayed, like she was a college student at Baylor. Um, you know, Baylor produces some awesome people, so um, as we well know. Um, but she was a college student there, and she joined an organization that was uh, ministering to people in, um, in Afghanistan, and this was before 9-11. And um, she was praying for a million Muslim converts. That's what she was praying for. Um, and then 9-11 came down, and they got arrested within a few days of that, and they were put on trial, um, and that would, they could have been put to death. At, at least they got a trial, because in those countries, a lot of times, somebody gets, gets it you know, in for you, you just disappear, or they hang you publicly or whatever, um, but they put them on trial. And then when they were on trial, she, Heather said, um, you know, she was praying, and she was waiting, like, you know, God, you know, what are you doing? Um, are, are we going to get out of this? And... Um, and God said to her, you know, this is it. This, this is it. And, and he asked her, he said, didn't you pray for a million Muslims to get saved? How did you think that was going to happen? You think you're going to stand on a mountaintop and you're going to preach to a million Muslims and they're going to get saved? No. It's going to be through persecution. It's going to be through hardship. It's going to be for putting your, your faith on display in such a way that people will have to look at it and say, that's not normal. That's not explainable. That's something more. That's real love. If Christ dwells in us, then we're going to have flashes of brilliance, little miracles of selfless, life-giving love. Little lights in a dark world that says real love exists. God exists and God loves. So what's holding us back? What, what holds us back from that? In, just like a show of hands, how many want to love that way? Awesome. And I know it's true. I know that's true. 
But what holds us back? Why are we such amateurs at this? How can we be walking with the Lord for 10, 20, 30, 50 years and still not be really as good at it as we should be? If we'd been doing this for the 10,000 hours that Malcolm Gladwell says, you know, we should be experts at it. Have you ever gotten stuck uh, in traffic behind somebody doing 45 and a 65? So I was coming to church um, some time back, and uh, I was going down uh, 69, um, and the traffic was like on the, on the fast lane was moving fast. On the slow lane, I got behind a woman in a Cadillac, um, and she was like, she's like one of these little old ladies that's kind of looking through the steering wheel, you know, and she is gripping that thing like grim death. It's like she's on a, on a, uh, on a test track. She's, she's so concentrating on what she's doing, and she's doing 45 miles an hour in a 65. And I pulled up next to her, and I'm looking at her, and the Lord spoke to me, and he said, that's how you are. That's how you are with the spirit, the, the power, the love that you have available to you, you know? I went home. I, I said, what kind of Cadillac is that? I didn't recognize it. it was a CTSV. Anybody know what a CTSV is? I bet Caleb does. So I looked it up. Here's the description of a CTSV that this lady was driving at 45 miles an hour. It says this, like the headline says, fastest Cadillac ever, 640 horsepower, 200 miles per hour top track speed, lightning fast reflexes, brilliant braking. The CTS sedan is the most powerful production vehicle Cadillac has ever produced. And she's like this, 45 miles an hour. Listen, guys, there is more power available to us than we are taking advantage of. When we used to uh, take the kids to, um, to youth camp, we had an old bus. And the first time I got it out on the interstate, I got up to 55, and it wouldn't go any faster than 55. And I'm flooring it, and it's just like it's not. No, we're not doing that. And cars, you know, t t cars are going by us 15 miles an hour faster than us. you know why? Because it had what they call a governor on it. And, and a governor is the, like the opposite of cruise control. It keeps you from going any faster than a particular speed. So what's our governor? What's, what's sitting on us and keeping us from going any faster or doing it loving like Jesus wants us to love? Here's what's holding you back. First of all, your sense of what is appropriate. And the, the uh, quote that I read um, from the theologian earlier, he says, it is spontaneous and heedless. It, is, it does not determine beforehand whether it will be effective or appropriate in any particular case. Your sense of what is appropriate. The, um, Pharisee, one of the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, what's the great commandment? You remember this. And Jesus said what? It's like the song that he sings all the time. What's, what does it say? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and your neighbor as yourself. And this guy, to justify himself, it says, says, okay, so who is my neighbor? And then Jesus tells him a little story. That story is based on understanding what's appropriate because it's a tacit understanding with the, with the uh, Pharisees that he's not talking about non-Jewish people. Who's my neighbor? And Jesus dives into it, man. He says, here's what was inappropriate. It's not loving the guy who's in need because, you don't, because you'd see he's a Samaritan. He's a human. He's a person. He's a, he's a real life. He's not some story. He's not some prop in your play. He's a real person. Am I talking too loud? I'm sorry. I'm not. I'm, I'm a little worked up. So, 
It's the sound system. I think you got me turned up too loud. Who is my neighbor? Same thing happened at the, the woman at the well. Like the woman at the well, she, she comes up to draw water like she always has. And here's this strange man sit, sitting there. And she's not expecting him to speak. And he speaks to her and he says, give me something to drink. And she's like, that is inappropriate. Is it? What is he motivated by? Does he want to be another one of her lovers? Does he want something? Does, is, is he looking at her like, you know, I love this woman with a, like I love steak? She's blown away by the fact that he's loving in a way that is inappropriate and he does not give a flying flip because he loves her. And he's jumping the fence. He's jumping the Pharisee fence. He's jumping the Samaritan fence. He's going where no man has gone before in that way. What about the prodigal son? What did the older son say about the father? You know what prodigal means? Prodigal means like excessively generous. So I don't know why we call him the prodigal son. It's the prodigal father. He's excessively generous. And the, and the older son can't understand this. He's like, this is inappropriate. And the father is like, not if you love him. Not if you love him. The next one, governor on our, on our love that keeps us that can hold us back is your sense of what you are capable of. And this one was, the, this is what the point of the story was with the, um, the rich young man that came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, you've read the scriptures, you know what they are. And he tells him, you know, don't lie, don't steal, you know, honor your father and mother. Um, and he ends, in Mark's version of it, he ends by saying, love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man says, this I've done ever since I was a child. And Jesus looked here it is, man. He looked at him with compassion because he saw that he was very rich. And he said, there's one thing that you lack. And he's thinking, okay, so what do I lack? Well, Because I got money. What do I lack? And Jesus said, go sell everything that you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. And there's only one reason why that guy did not do that is because he didn't think he was capable of living without all of his junk. And I have a stronger word for it than junk. I might use the one that Paul used. Because it's filthy rags. It's worthless. It's useless. It's what you flush down the toilet. And that's what he said, I trust that more than I trust you. And he went away sad. Don't go away from this place sad today. Whatever you do, whatever God's laying on your heart, whatever he's speaking to you, just do it, and do it with joy and abandon. And don't worry whether it's appropriate, and don't worry whether you're capable of it. Don't worry about any of that stuff. Just do it. He's inviting us into an adventure. Why would we not go? And the last one is what you know by experience. How many of you have ever done something out of love and gotten burned? Show of hands. What was the question I asked earlier? It's the same show of hands. How many want to love like that? How many have gotten burned? You know why? Because you're loving fallible people and you always will be loving fallible people, but you will never get burned when you love them with the love of God that God has given you because you're not expecting anything in return. 
To love is to be exposed in every way. Jesus didn't say, love your enemies and they will love you. He just said, love your enemies. When it comes to love, we all have a sense of what's appropriate. We have a sense of what we're capable of. And we get the sense um, from our past and our upbringing, it's probably going to fall short of human love transformed into godly love. You have not experienced the fullness of agape love. And you won't on this side of the grave. But you're going to get flashes of it, man. So have you ever been loved like that? First of all, have you ever been loved with the um, eros love that you thought was agape or philios love? Have you ever been loved with that? Maybe it was like a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a parent uh, or a friend or a business partner or something like that. And you're just like, you know, these, we got something here. We got a friendship. We got a partnership. You know, we're, we're on the same page. And then you end up getting burned and you find out it, it was eros love. They were loving you for what they got out of it, right? But have you ever been loved with agape love? And I submit to you, if you have, and I'm talking about from a person, that, that agape love where there is a person that is loving a little miracle to you. Have you ever experienced that? When Becky and I first came to the Lord, there was a couple that we had, uh, it was, he had taken a long convoluted you know, path back to God. He had been backslidden and started hanging out with us. And then he came back to the Lord and we came back to the Lord. And I had never known a friendship like I had with that guy. Because I was at a time in my life, in my early 20s, um, when I thought I had friends. And then when I ran out of dope, they weren't my friends. It was like really soul crushing, you know? Like, they're just using me for dope, you know? And I'm just like, I thought we were friends. And Bill and Joanne loved us unconditionally. They, we started hanging out with them. We were always used to hanging out partying on Friday and Saturday night, and they never ran us out of their house. We would stand, we would sit and talk. Have you ever had friends like this? Sit and talk for hours about Jesus. Never get tired of it. I think that might have been the miracle that brought us into the kingdom of God, that love, that couple. I still love them today. We're not as close as we used to be. They live on the West Coast. You know, we live in God's country. But I know my life was transformed because they loved us, because they loved us enough to correct us, because they loved us enough to stick with us through really difficult times. Um, I'll just share one story, and then we'll get to communion. Um, when uh, our oldest son uh, was in the hospital getting a heart transplant, um, he was going downhill, and it was like he was on life support for five days. And uh, I was sitting next to his bed in the uh, in the uh, um, ICU, um, and I was at the lowest point that I had been to that point in my life, and uh, I looked up, and at the door stood Bill Fowler, my friend. He had driven all the way from Brenham, Texas, up to Dallas in the middle of the night, and he showed up there at 2 o'clock in the morning. That man's my friend. And there's nothing he can do about it. He could fail me. He could turn on me. There's nothing he could do about it because at that moment, that was the, the thing that I needed from God more than anything is just a human presence, a real human being that says, I care about you. And I can't help you, and I can't do anything about it. But by God, I'm going to be here with you as you go through this. 
I'll tell one more story. This is more of an illustration. But you guys are still with me, right? I mean, we're just going to eat a little bit, and then we're going to go. So, Which, by the way, if you're not a member of this church, you're welcome at this table because Jesus set this table for you. And this is, this is his unconditional life, love for every one of us. And you don't, you don't have to be a part of us or, or a member here um, to fully participate, and I hope that you will. Um, you remember um, th- there's a character in uh, Toy Story um, called Buzz Lightyear? You know, you know who Buzz Lightyear is? So let me just ask you a question. How many know who Buzz Lightyear is? Show of hands. Same hands. These are like everybody's raising their hands. Same people are raising their hands. Um, so let me just ask you a question. Can Buzz Lightyear fly? <laughs> what did you say? He falls with grace. Well, I don't know. Because it's open, to, it's open to question, because of some of the stuff that he did, does is borderline flying, and it's certainly enough for him to think he's flying, right? But here's the point. Buzz Lightyear does what he can, and he believes, and he saves his friends, and he does everything that he would have been doing if he could fly. Whether he can or not is not the point. The point is, is that he's trying, guys. He's taking the water of what he's got, and he's letting something transform that water into wine. And that's all God is asking for you to do. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to get burned. I'm telling you already ahead of time, you will get burned. People will fail you. Love anyway. Don't be the kind of person that winds up bitter and angry and isolated from everybody just because you're protecting that cold, hard little heart of yours. Galatians chapter 5, verse 6 says, for, Christ Jesus, uh, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision, in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working by love. I just, uh, this past week, um, a guy named Bob Goff, who's an author, um, was here in Tyler for the Path Banquet, and this is what his whole thing was. And the guy is just like obsessed. I mean, he's like borderline crazy, you know. He has no idea what's appropriate. He's given money to poor people left and right. He sent his intern through, he didn't, no, that's not right. He took his intern, he's a lawyer, his intern through law school himself because the guy wanted to be a lawyer and couldn't afford to be a lawyer. And so Bob Goff said, can I teach him? He went to the board and they said, yeah, you can teach him, but you got to have a curriculum, you got to have, you know, all this stuff. And he took him through that one guy and the guy graduated from law school because Bob Goff, he just does not know what's appropriate. He does not know how to say no to love, to loving people. And he said this. He said, I used to think that you had to be special for God to use you, but now I know that you simply have to say yes. So we're going to come to the, to the table today. And I, let's just prepare our hearts before we come today, because I, I don't want um, something like this um, to in any way just be routine. I really want this to be what Jesus intended it to be, like Christ in the room, Christ at the table. He set a table for us. There's three, three elements here. There's the bread, which represents his body, and there's the cup, which represents his blood, and there's the table, which represents the atmosphere that he's meeting with us at. He could have asked us to come to a, an altar, a bloody sacrificial altar, And he said, I'll meet you there. But he didn't say that. He said, let's have a meal together. Let's sit down together. Let me set a a table and let me have some chairs. I I don't know if they had chairs back then, but 
have a place, and he has a place for you, and he just wants you to come to the table this morning. He doesn't want you to sacrifice anything. He just wants you to show up. Just come. So let's prepare our hearts now, okay? If there's anything in your life that's keeping you from God, big or little, it doesn't have to be anything big because the devil will pick a little tiny thing and separate you from God with it. If you let him, don't let him do that, okay? If there's any unfinished business between you and Jesus, this is not going to take long, okay? One minute, say I'm sorry, receive his forgiveness. Let's do that, okay? Just stop for a moment. Let the Holy Spirit search your heart. Tell him the truth. Tell him you're sorry. His blood covers it. His blood covers it. And it's sufficient, man. It it leaves nothing undone. Completely. Though my sins were as scarlet, you have made them as white as snow. And now one more thing that we always do when we come to communion If there's something between you and somebody else, we're loving God and we're restoring our relationship with God, but we're also loving people and we're restoring our relationship with people. If there's unforgiveness in your heart, if there's anything unsaid that needs to be said, anything undone that needs to be done uh, between you and somebody else, you settle that right now between you and God. And as soon as you're done with this, make a phone call or make a visit or write a letter, send send a text. Please, if you send a text or an email, make it overly genuine and and kind because people read things into stuff like that better yet call them or talk to them or go see them thank you lord lord you first loved us when we were unlovely thank you for that oh god we want to be people that love that way we don't want to love with a just the the water of our human love be all that we have. We want the wine of the true love of Christ that you have poured into us that we can pour out to others. Amen. So can I have uh, elders uh, come that are going to help us? <laughs> Let's all stand together. We come from the sides and then you're free to go after you've received communion.
Thanks, sir.